ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Bright Brains Podcast. Today we have my guest, Daylene Higgins. Did I pronounce that right? You did. You did. All right. And she is a financial coach and she has managed to retire at 50. So that's an impressive accomplishment. Welcome to the show, Daylene. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this financial coaching area. Yeah, yeah. So I, like you said, I retired. It's been about almost a year and a half ago. And as I was approaching retirement, um, because I was 50, you know, I was like, I'm not old enough to just sit in the recliner all day or, you know, so I wanted to find a purpose, another avenue for me to in that next phase of life. So I was exploring all sorts of ideas, right? We always turn to our hobbies and to our interests and to our passions. And I came across financial coaching and it just hit me that I was, I had reached such an ultimate high in my financial journey that why would I not want to share that and help people reach whatever their financial high is? So I, you know, jumped in, um, with the AFCPE, which they're a financial counseling certification. Um, I took their exam. It kind of broadened my side of um, more of the thoughts and the understandings of that way and supporting people, not just in practical strategies. And took that exam in April and I opened my business the day, first day of my retirement. And so I've been an active entrepreneur for just over a year which has been a whole new experience for me, but I have loved it. And I love working with my, all of my clients. They have been awesome and just helping them be better in whatever it is they're striving for. Awesome. So let's take a step back before you retired and before you became a financial coach, what did you do um, for a living and was retiring at 50? Was it always your goal? Okay, so I started my quote career at 18 in law enforcement. Um, I was support personnel for 32 years in different capacities. I put myself through college, so I got my accounting degree. And then trying to fit that in the world of law enforcement is just very high paced, um, upbeat. So I took a four year sabbatical from that to go into finance where I was just processing invoices and payments. And the level of that is not. So I went back. Um, And so the final 15 years of my career, I was actually helping lieutenants, um, chiefs, and the sheriff and the undersheriff budget. So learning how for them to budget on a public sector view and supporting them and then, um, yeah, making it happen for the auditors who want it in a certain format. So I was kind of that you know, translator, that in-between person, you know, telling them what their ideas and thoughts, how to get those on paper to support what was expected on the flip side of that. And so I worked in the public sector, which is government. And so there was the option of retiring with at 30 years, maxing out at 35. I was actually 35 years old. So I was what almost 20 years into my journey that I realized Um, I had only about 15 years left. If I wanted to retire, I need to make sure I have my ducks in a row. And the reason I say that is the day I retired, I took a 40% cut in pay. So I just started working from, so yes, I had a pension, which I know people are like, uh, 
but I had to take a 40% cut and pay that day. So I just strategized, really got focused on where my money was going, how was it supporting me um, for the current and for the future. We had a daughter, she was only eight, so definitely had all of her activities, all of her growth. We helped her through college as well. Um, def- couple different, you know, home situations, buying homes, you know, getting additional mortgages and stuff. And, you know, once it came to it, I was actually 32 years in, so two years over. And I looked at my husband, I said, I'm ready. He said, okay. And so I was about two months away. I turned in my notice that I'm retiring on on June 1st. And I looked at my numbers and I calculated what I was actually taking home and living on. And I was actually only living on 57%. So I knew I could do 60. So that's how I got there. It was a very focused journey. Um, So I took a lot of refining, a lot of saving. Um, So right now I, I tell people we're kind of in our pause mode because we are not old enough to touch any of our 401s. Um, I do have one account that is touchable if I need, but we are strictly living on our pensions. So both me and my husband, he retired three years before myself. So we took his cut, took his hit, and then we took my hit. So. All right. So that's pretty interesting. So you retired at 35 and then you had 15 years until you turned 50. What kind of money moves did you make? Were you investing in real estate, stocks, or? Uh, No, so I was still just, I was in my employer 401, and my employer for government, we had a 457, so I was putting money aside there, but I was also making sure that I was budgeting with my current, so that we were surviving, we were living, we were not taking on a lot of debt. So before I retired, I was able to pay off my house, Um, and not, so I don't have a mortgage right now, which is also nice. Um, I didn't know if that was going to happen. That wasn't part of my initial plan setting out, but I would just, um, so on my podcast, I share six steps of how I got to my, you know, to uh, freedom for myself. And the sixth step was what I felt was the most important. So the first ones are all about budgeting, tracking and saving. But number six is about um, getting focused on different areas within personal finance to better yourself. So understanding homeowners insurance, cars insurance, life insurance, what that means, how can I save money with those and still benefit and support myself. And so I just choose a different you know, topic like that, employer benefits, that's a huge one. How can you take advantage of what your employer is giving you to take on more of that money not in a cash role to sustain you and help support you and move on. Um, And so it was through that last step of just refining all of those different areas. I mean, I even learned about at that time, they called it frugality and thrifty, but now it's called minimalism. And so I explored that there were, you know, a lot of different ideas, very, very extreme people being thrifty and stuff like that. But when, My husband and I ended up with an additional mortgage because we had helped my sister-in-law and she passed away. Um, I employed some of those mechanisms that I had learned. Like we were tight for about five, six months. So we got renters in there and having that knowledge already, I knew exactly how I could start cutting my costs even more. So it was a very extreme for six months. My daughter, my daughter always reflects back and she says, we couldn't even buy socks and underwear. And I'm like, so it was a tight time. She was you know, probably 11 or 12 at the time. So it was very apparent. 
Um, but it wasn't that bad off. Like it was tight. We were focused, but I had already focused on it prior to that. So that was very, very helpful in knowing that when, you know, that event happened for us. So during this time period where money became tight, what lifestyle changes and sacrifices did you have to make? Really, all we did was just paused a lot of our spending. So in a sense, with what my daughter was saying, like we were just replenishing clothing because the season changed. We were actually looking at, was it a true, true need? You know, could we go buy another month or two without it? So extending those purchases a lot longer than we normally would have been. Um, you know, we still had enough food for groceries. Um, we don't eat out a lot. Um, we were still able to keep up our entertainment um, and that type of thing. But really, it was just about pausing those expenses that um, we have, like clothing, um, I don't even know what else falls in that category that's regular, but not all the time. We just pause it if we could, you know, because a lot of times we're not down to our last pair of socks or, you know, our last, you know, belly shirt or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, it's, it, we just paused and anything that really was more emergency. So like school fees or school activities, they became priority over replenishing the clothing or, Stocking up on groceries. I didn't stock up as much as I had prior. So really stocking the pantry didn't happen during that time. We would just buy what we needed. So really keeping things very low was very important during that time. All right. So let's talk about how you got your financial education. You had briefly mentioned that in the beginning. Can you elaborate on that some more? Was it totally like a formal education? Was it self-taught or was it a mix of both? So I, I did get my bachelor's in accounting, um, which isn't really personal finance at all. So there is not any formal education for personal finance, but having knowledge of how numbers work, of how kind of the economy works, because there was a couple of semesters I did have to do economics, um, but then the drive to actually explore what other people were learning and sharing, I think is where I was able to get my understanding of all of the workings of you know, saving and paying down debt and what debt means um, and all of those things and being supportive. I did also have a great, so our very first house we bought, I had a really great team from my lender to my realtor and my title company that they also knew a lot of information that I would just ask them and draw down on. So when we ended up with my sister-in-law's house, we just wanted to sell it, get rid of that debt that we had. And my lender is like, no, you need to wait for three years. So having people within your team outside of your household is very important. Somebody who you trust and value so that they can give you that positive advice to, you know, instead of just, you know, ditch and run type of thing, we were able to be in a better position by just striving for that three years to maintain. All right. So. What challenges did you face on the way of your money journey? I know you talked about having to cut back once you retired. Were there any other kind of obstacles that you faced and how did you go about solving them? Um, not, not high, you know, not really. I just, um, my parents were such a good example to me. My dad was also um, worked in the public sector. And so once I, once my realization of, oh, you know, he did exactly what I'm hoping to do that I really just started following him. He ended up becoming my financial plan, just in an observance. And I really wished I would have asked him a lot more 
prior, like 20 years prior to that, but I wasn't just not in a place. Um, but just applying it and getting focused. And, you know, I think probably the biggest challenge and for myself, it wasn't as bad is what is going on? What are other people doing? You know, experiencing those new, you know, side-by-sides were new for a while. And, you know, those types of quote toys that people are experiencing, you're like, okay, do I do that? Or what impact is that going to have on my goal? Now, like I said, we didn't give up everything. We did have motorcycles. We had recreational property we bought during that time, um, which was an investment. So when we sold that, obviously that was some money to help pay off debt that we had. But we always approached debt from a stance of how much we, out of our monthly income, could contribute to debt, not how much we qualified for. And I know a lot of people go in and they're like, well, what can I qualify for a house? I don't want somebody telling me how much I'm going to pay a month. I'm going to say, this is how much I want to pay a month. What does that look like in a total cost for buying a house? So I think that was really huge. Um, and But in the very beginning, it did pose as a challenge to our realtor because we were very limiting ourselves. She's like, can't you go up $10,000 more? And we're like, we don't want to. You know, she's like, you don't qualify for it. I'm like, oh, I'm sure we did, but we just don't want to. So we had very hard, fast boundaries with a lot of the money, a lot of the ways we were spending our money and which I know is not natural for a lot of people, but learning that more quickly, I think can benefit anybody is just setting your boundaries and going out um, and doing what you want to do and get focused on what you want to do. So. Do you think that retiring at 50 is a realistic goal for most people? Um, I would say for a lot of people, it can definitely be realistic. And like I said, I didn't get started until I was 35. I didn't get focused until I was 35. Um, you know, individuals that don't have access to pension, they it still can be a possibility because they just have to be strategic in where they're putting their money. You can't stock everything into a 401 or you cannot leave until you're 59 and a half. So knowing those, you know, situations and knowing how that would happen, definitely, you know, anybody could achieve retirement as early as 50 or sooner. I've seen other people really get focused and they're stocking away 50, 60, 70% of their income. Granted, most of them are high earners, but I think even, you know, I was just middle income. I think middle income definitely can create an earlier retirement. I don't believe that we should sit around and work until we're 65 and just believing that, I really think we should drive what we want to do. If you want to work till you're 65, 70, that's great. But do you have to? That's the key is not having to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. One thing uh, about retiring at 65 is that by the time you get that age, you're kind of old, your body is breaking down. You can't really enjoy it. So being able to retire at 50 it gives you life to actually be able to enjoy your money. What's your main motivator in this uh, financial uh, sector? Yeah. So for myself in retiring, it was just when I was ready, I wanted to be able to do it and pull the plug. And, um, you know, that's, that's financial freedom, but there could be time freedom. And I think more so anything, that's what I've really enjoyed is that even though I did go into entrepreneurship, so I am working every day, it's my time, it's my freedom, and I get to choose. Um, So, you know, striving for that, I think a lot of people don't 
look far enough ahead to dream about what they want to be doing at 50. You know, do you love your job? And even it reassess, right? So if you're 30, 35, set a dream, set a goal. And then at 40, reassess. Is that still something that's very important to you? Or do you want to get there more quickly? And just keep reassessing those goals, but really don't say, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, there's no way you can do that. Or, oh, there's no way. Or you limit yourself. There's no way I can do that. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, I set out my goals and I thought, oh my gosh, there is no way I'm going to be able to do this. But yet I just, I set it and I went for it. And really that was, I don't know, maybe I'm a little obstinate in a way and saying, okay, I've set it out and I'm going to achieve it. So I did. I worked really hard and stayed focused and that's naturally me. I love numbers so I could get down and dirty, but even you don't even have to love numbers to be able to create something different for you, you know? And so sometimes you are stuck in a job because you're stuck at that wage. What if you made changes to not require that wage so you could actually go find a job you loved? You know, it might be paying less, but you're going to enjoy going to work. And so that's the freedom with your money is you get to choose and you get to function of where and how to spend that. And I know right now inflation has hit, you know, housing is high. I agree. But yet there's still so much we can control and really guide us to where we want to go. Speaking of inflation, what role does that play in retirement? Because the thing about inflation is that it goes up every year. So if you're saving for retirement, by the time that you retire, that money that you have is worth less than when you started saving. So how do you prepare for inflation and uh, how, how do you combat that? Yeah. So when they have you save, if you're truly just saving in you know, your investments, your stocks, your 401s, your IRAs, your Roths, whatever you want to call it. Um, you obviously they'll factor in like a 4% value, which is, you know, every single year and cost of living doesn't always, it's not always 4%, right? Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. So that's how they negate that. But then the other concept I think people don't fully understand is yes, when you retire, you're no longer contributing, but your money is still going to be earning. So learning how to withdraw out of that bucket of money or creating different buckets of money to sustain your future is another very, very important part of understanding personal finances. When I was working in government, everybody's like, well, I'm going to retire, so I'm going to put my money in the safe. And I'm like, well, why? I mean, you still have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of living. Why do you want to go safe today? You know, there's different things you can do as far as how how risky you are investing. And so understanding that as well, which is definitely through a financial advisor, but just knowing that the day you retire does not mean that's that's your limit of your bucket. Yes, you're going to start withdrawing out of it, but it will still earn. So hopefully that helps people. How much money does somebody need to retire com comfortably? So there's lots of different opinions out there. Financial advisors will tell you you need 80% of your income and times it by 25. What I like to do is more realistically because I am a budgeter. So what I did was I calculated what I was going to need in retirement. And you can reflect those. You can kind of, you know, it, estimate those even if you're 20 years away from retirement. You know what expenses are going to be there and are not going to be there and make some fluctuations for today's value 
and then take that number and see how it supports you in the future. So you take what you're going to need and you times it by 25 and that should give you how much you need to be saved the day you retire. So it also depends on, you know, how lavish your lifestyle is or how lavish you want it to be. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I have to wait till I'm 65 so I can get Medicare. Medicare is still going to cost you. You still have to have a pay a premium every month. So whether you retire before you're on Medicare or after, you know, you're of the age of Medicare, my mom was paying a premium of more than half of what my husband and I paid and she was on Medicare. So, you know, people saying, oh, well, it just won't cost me. Mm, it's going to cost you. So planning for medical, not only in the premium factor, but also in your expenses and being prepared that way, which hopefully you're already doing prior is just, you know, other things that you need to add in there. So how a financial advisor can say you only need 80%, that's not realistic. It's a great number to kind of shoot for, but I think the more down and dirty you can get with your budget and what you expect you're going to be doing or want to be doing in retirement, the better off you're going to be. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse and intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z, pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Now, back to the podcast. So tell me more about your financial coaching business and how do you go about finding clients? Yeah, so financial coaching, um, we're different from a financial advisor, which I brought up already and that we handle your day-to-day -day expenses. So your money that you spend every day on groceries, fuel, all of that, as well as your emergency fund and that, we tackle, help you tackle so that you're successful. I always say you need a financial coach to help you find a savings stream to fund your financial advisor so he can help you grow your future. That's kind of how we fit together. So um, I'm, I have a podcast that's called Wealthy After 40. So people find me there and connect with me on either Instagram or my Facebook group. And then there I share a little bit more details about how to tackle the different challenges um, people are facing. Right now I'm targeting Gen Xers just because I am a Gen X. So, you know, over 40, different ideas of how in the later phase, right? Hopefully we're all in that last phase of our quote career that we're looking at retirement planning for retirement, things that we can do differently and having experienced life with them as well through all of those years. Um, I think I can be supportive in the understanding of things we knew, things we were taught or not taught and kind of covering those gaps. I already know I don't have to explore what those gaps are. So based on your experiences working with clients, what are some issues that you see people 
like some mistakes people make with their money and how do you go about helping them rectify those mistakes? Yeah, so the biggest mistake, and this is not even just generation focused, um, is that nobody is preparing for emergencies. And I do not like, I'm just gonna say, I do not like the standard emergency fund of three to six months of job you know, expense. I'm To me, that never made sense because I'm like, well, if I'm saving up for when I lose a job, what about all of these other expenses? So I help people structure at a basic, you know, basic these the emergency fund. I loosely call it an emergency fund. When you work with me, we expand on that and what that means and how to cover it. And we break it down into different categories so you know when to touch it. And these are things like your car repairs, your medical expenses, your home repairs, um, even your, you know, summer travel or your college education for your kids will eventually be built out in that. But being able to um, define that, I think makes it easier to quote, save for emergencies. Whereas just having a loose definition of, well, if you lose your job, you're going to need the money. I was not in a highly volatile job. And I think that's why I poked around at it more. I'm like, that doesn't make sense for me. So what does that mean for me? What are my emergencies? And so that's how I got really defined. So that when the tires on the car needed to be replaced or when, you know, we need, had to pay the insurance deductible because somebody crashed into us or, you know, any of those types of things, the water heater, the air conditioner, I have money for that. I'm prepared for that. I'm not immediately turning to credit cards. You know, I, I know that most people cannot cover a $200 emergency today. And so that is my biggest, um, my biggest thing I want to change and show people is how to be more stable with their budgeting so that they're not, that's where they get the, um, the anxiety and the fear and the stress and all of the worries from is that they just haven't had a stable budget. I had two new clients start with me this week and both of them using my three bucket me method. The third bucket is for savings. They are both saving about a thousand dollars a month. They just hadn't structured their money you know, and these are single moms. These are single moms overwhelmed with debt because they haven't had a cash flow management system. And so they're just trying to shuffle to cover so that they are not losing their house so that their kids are clothed and fed. You know, some of them are getting child support. Some of them aren't. That's the biggest thing I see coming to me is like these single women who they may have been recently divorced and divorced for five or plus years. And they're just really stressed out and stretched thin because of a lot of things that have happened. And it's really just these little expenses that add up over time. Yeah, you know, I feel like we as a society, we don't really educate people properly on how to use money. What are some changes that could be made on how we educate people about money? Like if you were in charge of the school system, you said <laughs> kids need to know these three things about money, what would you teach yeah. them? Yeah, oh, little did you know that I really explored this option as another job after I retired. I was like, I would love to go and fill that um, financial literacy class because I've seen some of the things that have come out of there. Um, one group, they were doing a credit card jingle and I'm like, why are we teaching them a jingle when we <laughs> actually need to be educating them on what debt means? So I definitely would cover where money comes from. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of a lot of kids don't understand that to a certain extent for different reasons, right? I'm just going to say that blanketly for different reasons. 
Um, and then, you know, so hard work and then that money is theirs and then budgeting, taking control of that hard earned money and putting it to where you, you want to spend, right? Teaching them like a value-based spending from the get-go. And then number three, teaching them about what credit is, what debt is, and looking at as a whole. I see a lot of people right now, they're chasing a credit score. How do I increase my credit score? How do I increase my credit score? Honestly, for most of the years of me doing my money journey, I did not know my credit score. So now I know you can get this, you know, these close enough scores that they give you through your banks and stuff like that. We never had that. And I never asked. Whenever I went in and applied for a loan, I was not turned away. So it wasn't a struggle. But the biggest factor is keeping your credit score up is paying your bills on time. I think that's where we need to do the education pay your bills on time, length of history, right? Not avoiding debt, because I know there's some people that are like, debt is bad, debt is horrible. And that's why I love to share my experience of, you know, because I had another host ask me, he's like, did you ever have struggles with debt? I'm like, no, because I managed it. So I think that would be the thing with that debt and teaching about credit is how to manage it, how it can propel you, you know, you definitely have to get a mortgage unless you're a very small percentage that is wealthy or mom and dad can afford it for you, you're going to have to get a mortgage and understanding what that means and what that looks like and being prepared for that. So setting, you know, setting yourself up, my daughter, she's 25. And I've just taught her along the way, the little tidbits. And I think that longer journey is better. But if I were to go in for a semester, I would hit it hard as where money comes from, how to keep more of it and how to protect yourself from debt. Yeah, you know, um, those are definitely things that like we should be teaching as a society. You said, what is credit and what is debt? Could you like basically explain a little bit more? Like, I mean, I, I understand what they are, but I want right. to know what your definition of what those things are. Yeah, so debt is your cost, right? You go mm-hmm. and you apply with your credit to to purchase something. And so when you make that purchase, The debt is the true cost of that. So you might be buying, I'm just going to use a very low number, a very simple number, a $5,000 car, and your interest rate is 7%. And, you know, you're going to be paying closer to $10,000 for that. So just understanding what the debt is the true cost of the entire payment, and that credit is your invitation to getting to that debt. So making sure that your credit is whole, that you understand how much you can get, but also understanding what that debt cost is to you. So they kind of go synonymously together. One is you and one is from somebody else putting it on you. Before I let you go, I just want to ask if you had, if you wanted to impart one thing, like one sort of piece of wisdom that we haven't already discussed to somebody that's currently embarking on their financial journey to retire early and, you know, have a livable income, uh, what things should they focus on? Savings and paying off debt. All right. Savings and paying off debt. I'm curious, what about a passive income? Does that play a role? uh, Oh, most definitely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when you look at retirement, you're either going to invest in, stocks, whether that's via your employer or a different way, or you're going to go into real estate or create passive income through a business. Um, 
But all of that is passive income, even stocks and investing is a passive income. Um, and so yeah, creating that additional line of, you know, money is very, very important. And some people they just set themselves up with rentals. Um, I had a coworker, and he did retire early as well. But he was living off of his passive income of his rentals that he had acquired over the years. So definitely go with whatever your passion is. My husband and I explored rentals very, very early on. Um, but we live in a college town. And at that time, like trying to find duplex, fourplex, things like that were just not realistic. And so we didn't explore it anymore. We just figured, nope, it's not for us. And we went different other avenues. So definitely go where you're comfortable. So, yeah. Do you think people um, are kind of scared to like talk about money? Um, mm -hmm. Like they feel uncomfortable. And why do you think that is? Um, so, yeah, we don't we don't talk about money, right? I was fortunate enough to have parents who, not that they sat us down and we had this lecture of you know money, but they were able to talk about money. If I got curious, if I asked them, or they kind of shared, you know, like openly they're writing bills, um, writing a check for somebody. And then as we inquired, they would share more information. And so, but I think a lot of people, if you go back far enough, you know, they don't feel like they're doing well with money. They're scared to talk about it. Um, and they think that they have to speak in terms of, well, I make this much money. And actually talking about money can be so much more. We don't even have to share our hourly wage or our annual salary or any of that to talk about money. You know, it's be like, hey, Isaac, where are you saving your money? Which, you know, are you in a high yield savings account? Do you love it? And what are they doing for you? You know, those types of things are money conversations as well. You know, have you done a CD ladder? And what is that? And, you know, did it work for you? And how did it work for you? And just inquiring of different ways people are, quote, saving money, or like you said, passive income, are they looking at that? Oh, there's a new idea for me and getting curious about that, to grow your knowledge, and find your passion that you can then just, you know, put in 100%. I say that loosely, because it might be more than one thing. So so where can people go online to learn more about your services and to inquire? Yeah, so I have a website at www.elevatefinances.us. Um, it's got all my links on there. It's got my coaching packages on there. Explains about who I am and my journey as well. Um, and then if you want to listen to me at Wealthy After 40 on my podcast, um, I can, you know, my personal journey is on there. Um, what I learned from my parents is also on there. There's lots of fun stories on there as well. So, or come connect with me on Instagram and elevate underscore finances and we can chat. Awesome. Before I let you go, what's the best thing about retirement? Um, that I can have the pace be so much slower. I can take and enjoy my mornings and not have to rush out the door to clock in by seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's that's great. Oh, I wish I had that. All <laughs> yes. right, then. Thank you for coming on, Daylene. I really appreciate this. You have a nice day. Thanks, Isaac. Take care. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast.
Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.